Welcome to The Quiet Life. I'm Michael James Wong, meditation teacher, author, founder of Just Breathe, and your host for this podcast. Now it goes without saying that we're living in an uncertain time where everything is changing rapidly. We're living day to day, unsure of the road that lies ahead. And things are getting a little or a lot quieter. So join me on this podcast as we speak to experts and inspiring voices about home practices for your mind and mental health during this time of uncertainty. Listen in as they share their thoughts and daily practices you can do wherever you are. Welcome to The Quiet Life. Hi guys, welcome to this episode of The Quiet Life. Today I'm speaking to Luma Eldin, and she's an innovation strategist who believes that mind training is an essential aspect of our creativity, and that it has the power to create a more positive impact in the world. She's the founder of MindBar, which is an organization that helps to bring the practice of mindfulness into the business world. And her career has really been focused on transforming perceptions and using creative problem solving to nurture growth and development. In our conversation, we talk about how our societal and cultural conditioning shapes our identities and whether this is helpful to our evolution or if it's actually preventing us from moving forward. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen in on this conversation. Hope you guys enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode, and we are still recording this during lockdown here in London, so everything is still remote, but it's great to have these conversations, and as I just said in in the intro, uh, with me today is Luma Eldin. Hey Luma, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Michael? I'm great. Well, I'm in London today. Where are you? I'm actually in Amsterdam. Okay, so you're, you're nearby. Not too far away, um, but it, you know it, it's great to connect. And I, you know, the, in the spirit of this podcast and all these conversations, uh, it's really about taking a moment to, you know, to investigate more, expand, and ha- have deeper conversations that can hopefully shift and change our perceptions and, and challenge norms. So, I mean, my question for you, which I tend to ask everyone as we kind of uh, open up, is, I mean, what really is your passion? What what is it that is important for you to share? Um, Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for that question as well. I think what I'm really passionate about, and I've been for quite a while now, is this idea of our human capacity for creative problem solving and really, you know, our mind's ability to think creatively, to imagine, and to consider more than one possibility at the same time, which I think we often forget these days it's how we've been able to set ourselves um, apart from any other species in the world. It's, it's how we've been able to build uh, the civilization that we have, for better or for worse. And it's really the opportunity that we have in, um, in fixing a lot of the problems that we do have uh, today and we're seeing in the world. So yeah, I, I, I'm extremely uh, curious and and always exploring our 
this capacity and what it means and how we can nurture it and, and cultivate it. Right. That's really fascinating. And, and where did this all come from? Is this something that has kind of just been recent endeavors or have you always been quite inquisitive by nature? I think I've always been quite in inquisitive uh, by nature. I think I've always been very cerebral, so very much in my in my head, always kind of thinking, no, that's not right, um, exploring kind of what things mean, trying to understand, trying to challenge, trying to make things better. Uh, yeah, I've, I've always had that kind of inclination. Like I've, I've had many people over the years tell me, that I'm too much in my head as, as if it was a bad thing. And yeah, I think over the years, it's something that I struggled a lot with because of the kind of judgment that came with it. But I learned how to almost seize it as kind of a, a power that I have as, you know, being able to kind of connect dots and bring things together uh, to make new meanings. And what I'm excited about is that shift really, that um, that shift not only for myself, but uh, for the rest of the world. Like how can we really expand beyond our conditioning and the kind of constrictions in the world that, you know, come with this idea of expertise over exploration? Right, that's really interesting. Um, I mean, what, what do you mean by connecting more dots and uh, allowing to see the world in, in a different way? I totally understand the, the aspect of the importance of having a cerebral or intelligent nature in how we see the world. But what, what actually is the, the value in that? I mean, what, what, why is that such a focus for you? Well, I think, you know, we're conditioned to accept and believe in things the way that they're presented to us. Um, we take things as they are, and we very rarely challenge them. I think the opportunity to take different ideas and put them together and connect them into new forms of meaning and purpose and opportunity is something that we have such great capacity for, and we're not utilizing it enough. I mean, if you look at a lot of the technologies out there, they are just combinations of things that already exist in, in new and unique ways. And that's really, it's a force of imagination. It's a force of thinking, oh, what happens when I bring two different things? It's, you know, how, how do you experiment by connecting things that aren't conventionally connected to allow for to create new ideas and new possibilities yeah and, and i really love that because i think especially as humans we we do have that kind of dichotomy of accepting information that that is shared with us as truth and at the same time having the gift of curiosity to explore to see what is possible I mean, um, I mean, in your time and in your work, can you can you give me an example of kind of how that might work? I mean, where either in a moment of history or in a moment of your life, have we have you seen kind of two different things been dotted together to actually expand a possibility? Um, I mean, I think we're seeing it today. I think, you know, the, the combination of even just dealing with the COVID-19 and civil rights issues is erupting in a huge and very powerful global movement towards uh, love and acceptance and uh, equality and justice. I think, you know, that's one formulation that gets me really excited. 
I think uh, historically we've seen it in maybe not necessarily the combinations, but in the shifts of perspective of uh, looking at things from a different angle. Um, like even when we think about technology uh, always having to be something very technical and scientific and when it was kind of shifted into this more accessible, facilitated uh, opportunity to make things better um, and, and connect us to each other. That's another great example. For me personally, I think what really resonated and, and was allowed me to do both of those things, both shift my uh, perspective as well as find different connections in my life to, to grow and transform even in myself was was kind of a product of what I like to call shifting outward, like understanding that myself and my identity and this kind of conventional uh, representation that I've built of who I am in my life is, is not necessarily uh, stagnant and doesn't have to be uh, as it is or as it as others kind of reflect on to me, it can be something that I shift into the world and explore and allow to be more permeable and agile and flexible and based on discovery and connection rather than, you know, identity and this idea of I am one thing forever. Yeah, I think that's a, uh, I mean, a, a belief in, in maybe the way that we're raised that there are definitives and finalities once we kind of understand them. And I, I think maybe it's a, it's a Western culture thing that, you know, we're told the sky is blue, so it's blue mm-hmm. uh, forever. And, and I think you're right. And I think you touch upon it so nicely in the sense of, um, you know, a lot of it comes back to our sense of uh, truth and understanding, a uh, sense of uh, allowing ourselves to evolve and to grow and to know that things will always shift and change, especially things like labels and identities um, and the ways that maybe we are seen or received in the world around us. I mean, I, I know as well for you, you have a mixed background of heritage and countries and, and that kind of probably informed some of these conversations. I mean, did you did you find early on in your life or as you were growing up that part of maybe that or other qualities, how it kind of informed or guided your perspective towards identity? For sure. I mean, I think, and I I don't think I was aware of it, but I definitely struggled with identity most of my life. Uh, I'm the daughter and granddaughter of refugees, and I grew up in multiple locations moving almost every year or two, so I have no dominant geographical association with my identity. um, And my my childhood was spent always trying to both fit in as well as stand out, which was very confusing and um, and actually in in retrospect quite exhausting. So yeah, I think it definitely was something that was ingrained in me. Like this exploration of what identity means was something uh, ingrained in me from uh, from when I was very very young. Sure. And and there must have been hardships or challenges that, that came with that, were there? For sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, as a child trying to fit in as well as stand out at the same time is no easy uh, endeavor. And I think what it did to me was it made me into this people pleaser. Like I started to indulge in 
seeking an identity from pleasing others and getting, you know, being validated and a lot of things that many people, uh, you know, try to navigate while growing up, but even more so for me, because it was almost, I was always trying to adapt and uh, kind of repackage myself to fit in, Mm. uh, which is really interesting to look back at now. Uh, because in a way, it it allows me today to have that kind of flexibility and openness and kind of non-attachment to identity. But it was definitely a struggle growing up. Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean, because I come from that similar kind of mixed background. I mean, I was born in New Zealand. I grew up in Los Angeles. My family is Chinese by heritage. So yeah, there's a sense of having um, a mixed sense of identity, uh, that, that that needing to fit in, but also be unique. That you know, I always talked about in the sense of being from everywhere. You sometimes lack this understanding of being from anywhere, and and what is it that um, we can stand on or behind or next to as the things that define us. And I think as you grow up, as we all grow up, we're in search of understanding of who we are. And maybe, you know, it takes a bit longer until we get a bit older and we've had a few more experiences where we realize, and maybe maybe, maybe you're the same way as you realize as you get older, these, these diversities that are within our life and our culture and our upbringing actually is a sense of empowerment as opposed to a sense of limitation that maybe we found when we were earlier in life. Yeah, and taking it even one step further in that, uh, you know, challenging, just because that's that's who I am, uh, challenging why those things are important. Why is it important to associate with a geographic location or a specific uh, community or society? Uh, what does it mean for us? What does it give us? Uh, what does it provide for us? It's a really interesting exploration that I don't have the answers for. Um, all I know is that it's over time allowing me to shift into not identifying as much or not not needing to identify as much um, and understanding that uh, my sense of belonging really comes from this moment rather than anything that's historical or something that I'm moving forwards towards is how can I really just connect to this moment and exist right now. Yeah. And and how have you seen that your your own sense of belonging or your own identity has has shifted recently? Have things changed for you? I mean, do you keep tabs on kind of your own evolutionary growth? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely more present with it. I'm definitely more conscious of it. I like to think of this line between being absent in the world and just going, you know, moving forward with what is supposed to be or how things should be um, and being present in which you explore what things could be or, you know, uh, what you're experiencing right now uh, um, and the possibilities around that. And I definitely still hover. I find myself hovering uh, around that line, which is also a, a struggle because I want to move across. I want to shed. I want to let go of everything that's been conditioned. Um, but a lot of that comes with needing to accept where you're at and allow for um, this is where you are right now and, and recognizing that, you know, I still do carry a lot of my conditionings and that's also okay. And I still have attachments uh, to certain identifications 
that are uh, prevalent in my life. And that's also okay. So it's an ongoing journey. It's something that I think rather than being a, something that can transform overnight is something that we shift towards. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and, and do you think that it's important now more than ever that people have a strong sense of identity or should people have a kind of open sense of identity? Personally, I find that what works for me is having that more open um, sense of identity. I understand, and I and we see it today with the Black Lives Matter movement and why it's so important to identify and to associate. I mean, there are a lot of injustices in the world that we need to uh, bring uh, narratives around so that we can move towards it. I love the Martin Luther King a quote that President Obama often uh, refers to is, let us realize that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And and so we do need these, these movements and these identifications to be able to make those shifts towards justice. On a personal level, I think there's so much freedom and um, possibilities when you're able to let go of that, when you're able to actually make space between these narratives and these identities and um, how you move through the world. And that's been something that's been uh, part of my own exploration and my own uh, shift in that, you know, I had a kind of earthquake happened to me in 2013. Well, maybe a combination of many small earthquakes that erupted into one. Um, And, you know, many people have different types of earthquakes in their lives. uh, And, you know, not one is better than the other, but they shift us from that kind of absencing to that presencing and that questioning of, okay, what, what am I doing? And who am I? And what does this mean? And what those earthquakes give us is space, right? Space from things that we know and space from things that no longer serve us. And it's in that space that we can find ourselves in some form, which is something that I like to build on daily uh, and kind of explore how making space in your life from things that you take for granted from friendships, from people, from identities and identities that also include, for example, your work identity or your identity in terms of your relationship, whether you're a husband or a wife or father or mother or sister or brother. And um, it's in in those spaces that we make that we can really cultivate a sense of possibility. Take a moment to download the Just Breathe app. It's our simple and easy to use app with guided meditations, music, and soundtracks created and recorded especially to calm the mind and ease the body. And now it has the ability to customize the length of your practice. We've literally put the power of mindfulness in the palm of your hands, and even more, it's free. We've created this app as a way to support our growing community, and it is for anyone and everyone ready to step into a quieter conversation. So go ahead and download the app now. It's on iPhone and Android devices. And for more information about our growing conversation on and offline, 
make sure you visit justbreatheproject.com where you'll find more podcasts, lots of amazing stories and video content, and conversations all around mindfulness in the real world. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at JustBreathe. So you mentioned that you had some personal earthquake moments and could you maybe you know, share with us if you're willing a, a little bit more about actually what that experience was? Was it a earthquake of the mind or earthquake of a, a friendship, a work situation? I mean, what what was it that was the existing state and then what changed so dramatically for you? I mean, the, it, like I said, it was a culmination of a series of events from my mother being ill to having to take care of her to personal relationships falling apart, um, me questioning a lot of things in my life, including the, the work that I was doing. You know, I would often be in a hospital and see these uh, amazing caregivers and nurses and doctors doing remarkable work and just feel that my life was of no service, of no purpose. And so I, I wouldn't necessarily identify one uh, specific existing kind of uh, scenario. It was just a buildup of all these. It really is that shift, you know, it's that I was going through life in this. Everything is OK. Yeah. There are certain things that um, could be better or aren't great. And, you know, you go through different ups and downs in your life, but it was still moving forward. And then I just had this, you know, period of, okay, wait a minute, none of this is serving me anymore. None of this makes sense anymore. And it wasn't even that there was an immediate realization. It was, like I said, it was just an invitation to take a time out in both physical form, but also in terms of my ideas and my conceptions on life and my beliefs. And uh, that allowed me to make that shift. And that almost invited me to make that shift. Right. So, I mean, what kind of shifts did, did change in all that? I mean, you, you, you kind of mentioned that there were kind of some distinct shifts in your perception or your beliefs that changed. What, what were one or two of those? That, you know, and, and, and the funny thing is that I was... I was always a creative, like I worked in the creative industry. I was a creative director at a global design company. And I just realized that I, I was way too conditioned. I was very restricted, um, that my ideas and my thoughts were based on precedent and, and shoulds rather than, you know, opportunity and exploration. That in order to kind of build that career and that uh, persona to be successful, I was following this kind of set pathway of how to succeed in life. And I, I just completely let go of all of that. I quit my job. I, um, I started experimenting with new ideas that I wasn't necessarily qualified for. Um, I started to shed a lot of the expectations of others on my own life uh, as well as my own. And it wasn't easy. It was very difficult and very uncomfortable. And it still is uh, a lot of the time. Uh, but it's really in that discomfort, in that uncertainty, that if you can sit long enough in it, that you, if you allow it enough, and I think we're experiencing that collectively, 
with uh, with COVID and, and, the, and the lockdown around the world, that if you sit down long enough with it, it starts to break down the facades that we build um, to engage with the world, with, with ourselves and, and then also with others. Uh, you stop trying so hard, which is almost ironic, right? Because how can freedom come from trying less? And, you know, I struggle a lot with the self-development world because there's so much emphasis on the self. People end up trying so hard to self-develop that it becomes almost like a, a self-indulgence. And it's, of course, supported and endorsed by our social media culture of being self-indulgent. And really, the at least what worked for me was the letting go and the kind of like shifting outward and realizing that I am just, I'm just a vehicle and this is a space and, and this is kind of a world to explore rather than a, a world in which I am the main character or a reality in which I am the main character. And just that shift from me being the main character to me just being a participant in in a space to explore really gave me that space to allow for so much more um, kind of creativity and ideation and exploration and even challenges with myself. Like I was the first person to roll my eyes out uh, someone who did yoga or meditated because of all the stigma that came with it. Like, you know, being that really cerebral person I was an intellect you know I, I needed things to make sense and you know be embedded in what I thought was reality and the minute I could let go of that persona of that identification I was able to say wait a minute you know what is it really what, without the stigma you know yoga is just movement and meditation is just awareness and if I started to explore both in my own way uh, without trying to abide by a certain kind of community or, or culture around it. And it opened up so much for me in my life. And that applies to so many, so many other things uh, that if we can just shift our perspective, if we can just kind of shed the, the, the packaging that we do to these concepts, there's so much to experience and there's so much to connect with. Yeah, I think there's a lot there. I mean, what you're talking about in this sense of making space or making way for evolution, I think is a really interesting insight. But this, this, I guess, this leaning away from personal or self-development is, I mean, for me, you know, this, this aspect of the self and the self-development, I think there's a lot of interesting conversation that can be had around it. And I think you, you bring up a point of of it being self-indulgent and I, I wonder though if we lean away from this sense of self-development because of the self-indulgence where does the awareness of change come from that's a great question um i don't know and i i've had this conversation with many people in Specifically with um, with the Presencing Institute at MIT, I spoke with one of their facilitators about it, and we discussed that perhaps it needs to come from uh, some sort of experience or, or occurrence in, in your life, whether it's a big or small earthquake or something that really shifts your uh, reality in, in some way. And I think 
yeah, I, I think we're seeing that also again today. I think that's where that this being kind of a collective experience is is really powerful because it's almost like we get to experience this shift. Of course, each one of us in our own way, especially for people who've already had shifts and other people who are completely absent to them, but that there's almost this kind of global shift that's moving uh, in a certain direction. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just part of the discussion and on the sense of, I mean, we are seeing a lot of shifts happening around the world for different, many different reasons for in many different places, but also collectively in our consciousness. I think at the same time, I mean, what, what you're speaking about in this sense of creating the space for shift, for me, I'm just trying to place my head around how we can maybe understand it or create the conditions for it or whether or not we are specifically trying to make space for it or it's the uh, disassociation from the illusion of connection to shifts that allows shifts to happen. And so I guess for me, it's that understanding of, I mean, for people listening to this who are who are interested in the insights that you're sharing, it, what are the conditions that can be created in our own personal lives to make space for these shifts? Or is it merely about not trying to cultivate anything and just allowing things to happen when they happen, if they happen? Okay, yeah, no, that definitely, there's definitely ways that we can uh, make space in our life. And I think I've started uh, defining them as uh, in, in kind of three categories. There's first one where it's making space in your actual mind. So when, you know, we're so overwhelmed with so much information, uh, with the internet, with media, with kind of our access to information that if we could almost consciously uh, notice that. So in, in this practice of noticing our thoughts and our ideas and what's what we're feeding our mind with, um, that's a form of making space. And the more we can pay attention uh, to what is going in our mind, um, the more we actually make this kind of, uh, not physical, but mental space that we need more of. Mm. And the second kind of category is this idea of space in our engagements, the space in, in our communications with others before hitting send, thinking about, you know, our intention and what we wrote. Is it use, asking ourselves if it's useful uh, when we're in conversations with people making space and not trying to think of what to respond and allowing kind of just the person to speak so that you can listen and almost let them answers come up on, on their own where rather than trying to, you know, prepare or control uh, a situation. The third category of making space is more physical and that's, you know, and especially now with physical distancing, it's really important to, you know, understand the space that you occupy and, and how you hold, present yourself and how you hold yourself in a room uh, in relationship to other people, other things. Uh, what is that space that you engage with? Um, uh, and also, what are the spaces that you uh, allow yourself to experience, whether you're staying in a, a inside versus going out for daily walks? Um, those are all different ways to make space in our life to invite that, um, that shift, to invite the opportunities for shifts, even kind of pushing it beyond those practical guidelines and thinking about, okay, how do I make space from 
my work, right? We, in, we, we spend so much of our time focusing on, on how our work reflects onto us and reflects on our success. Like, how, is, is my work actually impactful? Is my work actually something that serves both me and others? Um, and of course, I know that this is, especially in, in, in trying times, uh, a luxury to have. But at the same time, that's exactly what these trying times are inviting us to do. Like they're making us uh, rethink the systems of, of these aspects of our culture, our work, our educational systems, our food and health systems. The more we can kind of, even though it's an ab abstract idea, but make space um, to have these conversations, to have these uh, kind of ponderings, these aspects of our society, the more we can experience those shifts. Mm. For you personally, where do you find, which one of those do you find the most challenging? Uh, that's a great question. I would have to say, based on my conditioning, it would probably be uh, the space and engagement, although I do work really hard on it. You know, that's the other thing is just, we have so much conditioning deeply embedded in us um, that it's really hard work to to break through it and I think I mentioned this a little earlier like we almost have to allow it for it to even have a chance of dissipating but yeah I guess in terms of engagement that's that's probably my biggest struggle I'm always my mind is always racing in terms of oh wait and we can do this and we mm. can think about this and we can try this and to kind of slow that down and really uh, make that space to allow for new ideas and new possibilities is, is something that I work really hard at. And do you have any like specific techniques that you use or implement kind of in everyday life for that? The work that I do is actually based all on that, on developing what I call a mind fitness routine or, or different exercises that you can do with your mind. It's basically based on a series of questions. So um, going back to this idea of starting from noting, so just observing your thoughts and trying to, to see where they come from and exploring what aspects of, uh, of these thoughts apply. So looking at limitations, looking at kind of reframing uh, tools, looking at, again, connecting two different thoughts and looking at what those combinations can make. Um, and that can be done just in thought or in writing or in conversation um, and experimenting with all these different ways. My formal training is as a designer and uh, design is really uh, just creative problem solving. And so I, I try to um, apply that, bring that into how I, um, I, I try to make space. And I've built this actually into uh, an approach that I share and we've called it mind bars. So it's it's really about uh, the bar being almost like something that you exercise and flex for your prefrontal cortex. That's really interesting. Cause I, I mean, I'm, I'm really interested to hear more a little bit about this sense of conditioning. Now I, I I'm, totally agree in that sense that we've all been conditioned a certain way in our lives. We're conditioned to act in different ways and eat certain things and perceive the world around us in certain ways. Um, but also in a lot of ways, we, we aren't even aware of the conditioning that we've been kind of 
uh, I guess, guided towards. So I wonder in this sense of, I guess, expansion of awareness, the, the commonplaces that we really are conditioned without even realizing it. And I know you touched upon things like engagement and time and space with other people in relationships, but are, are there some big ones or some less known ways that we're conditioned? Yeah, I mean, it's almost infinite. Our conditioning is so deeply embedded. It's not something I think easily definable. I love how Annika Harris talks about um, the conscious mind and how we are actually a convergence of many different factors that come together from ancestor legacy to, uh, you know, our childhood, our parents, our experiences in life and everything that we receive as information is part of our conditioning. So while we don't necessarily uh, um, have complete and this might be a little controversial, but like autonomy on our decisions, everything that we experience almost feeds into our being, into our mind to make those choices, to make um, those behavioral patterns that we do. So ultimately, everything that we experience is a form of conditioning. And, and, and in that respect, making space becomes an important part of also getting into that conditioning, almost like into that programming that you have. And the more that you can invite that space, whether it's in your mindset and your engagements or in your physical experiences, that all feeds into who you are and how you experience life. Yeah, and maybe I'm putting this from a perspective of someone who's coming into this conversation a bit newer and saying, I I, I get and appreciate that I have a sense of conditioning that I've been raised upon. And in many ways, I'm not aware of all the things that I've been conditioned for. Uh, and arguably, as you say, we're conditioned as a part of everything. By making space for an understanding or making space for us to create awareness for this to rise within our consciousness, is there any, uh, I mean, going back to your early point, is there any cerebral indicators that can actually help us um, distinguish good conditioning versus bad conditioning then? Hmm. You know, I struggle a lot with identifying things as, as good or bad. Um, there's definitely a lot of positive and negative experiences in our life. I think the challenges in, in trying to almost control what is good or bad, we end up creating judgments and it keeps us from actually being able to work with those conditionings in a useful way for ourselves. So I think more than, um, you know, exercising a kind of identification again of, you know, good and bad conditioning, I think just recognizing what could be conditioning, what, what are behavioral patterns in your life can open that space for you. Mm. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And I'm, I'm trying to maybe make it a bit more tangible and understanding. And so maybe you could explain it in a way where like in, in the course of like, let's call it my, my everyday life, where, where or what might be some types of things that uh, we could potentially be aware of that we're conditioned for that we might not have realized. So it's kind of, you know, I guess if someone listening to this is going, this is really interesting and insightful, 
and I understand and appreciate there's a lot of conditioning that I've been raised to believe in how I engage with the world, but are there things I can recognize in my own life, in my own day, um, as I kind of move throughout my day that potentially could be conditioning that is worth more of my awareness and effort? Yeah, and I think it's exactly what you're saying. It's in that recognition of a conditioning um, that you can uh, shift it into something more useful in your life. And I'll give you a tangible uh, example for me in my life. Like food has always been something that has been conditioned as a form of love. Like instead of my family telling me they love me, they feed me. And that conditioning uh, has affected my relationship with both food as well as love. Um, and mm. being able to observe that and recognize that allows me to make space between those relationships and, and shift towards something um, that serves me better, for example. Um, and I, I think that's one a lot of people can probably yeah, I think that one's relate to. Absolutely. And I think that's a really powerful one to, to recognize that food often is supplemental for love. It is a way that we show a sense of meaningfulness or connection is, let me make you something. Let me pick you a sandwich. Do you want a cup of tea? Like we have that tangible way of showing love. And I, I think you're right. It is very much something that is a condition of how we're, we're brought up, especially in different cultures and communities where, you know, food is very prevalent as a way of showing that. So I think that's really, really helpful. Thank you so much. And you said you had another one. Well, I, I think a, a very personal one to me is that I was always I, I, kind of the cliche child being always told and, and conditioned that I was extremely bossy, which created this pattern in, in, in me of thinking I was too bossy and having to almost restraint and kind of hold myself back and not evoke the innate natural qualities that I might have that are more, you know, guided or impactful uh, because of the uh, conditioning that I am bossy, so I don't want to be perceived as bossy, for example. Um, and the more you can uh, be aware of these patterns in your life and um, address them as conditionings, you can shift them into more um, useful ways. Like I think being um, assertive and passionate and powerful as a woman is actually showing uh, to be something that we really need to cultivate more of in this world. So that's, that's another example. I think absolutely. And I, especially, I mean, you touched upon another important aspect of it is that the way that we speak to others, the way that we speak to children or people, you know, kind of still going through those developmental stages of offering up a sense of uh, identity ownership, as it's talked about a lot of times of, of allowing someone to feel that they must own a certain label that they're good at or gifted at, you know, and I know that from a psychological point of view that there is an aspect of, you know, not being the best way to to help growth if we're always telling, uh, you know, a child, oh, you're the smart one and you're the pretty one and you're the funny one and you're the quiet one. We, we are conditioning them to create this sense of identity ownership on something that doesn't need to define them. And I think that can carry through a lot of times too, as we get older, as we become adults, as we be put in social situations. I know for me, there's so many times where, you know, I've been in, walked into a room and the expectation is for, oh, 
Michael, you you can talk about, you know, important and mindful things. And, oh, Vanessa, you can talk about funny things because you're the funny one. And, you know, Bob, yeah. you can tell us, you know, tell us all about the, the academic things just because, you know, you work at a school and you become the intellectual aspect. And so we're in many ways conditioned to live within identities that we might have a certain level of knowledge or expertise on, but it doesn't really embody the qualities of who we are all the time. Yeah, and that goes back to what we were talking about in terms of that self-development um, uh, aspect. And I, I, you know, even with a lot of these tests that we do uh, to help define our professional capacity or, or our personalities, people end up getting very attached to those identities, like a Myers-Briggs identity, like, oh, I'm an, you know, uh, ENTF, or I'm an introvert, mm -hmm. or I'm an extrovert, and all these things that they actually limit us from from, they actually could limit us not that there there's no there's no condition <laughs> of course there but there's uh, they actually could limit us from experiencing other aspects of ourselves uh, I mean for me I've always been told I'm an extrovert and I find myself in moments being like wow I really value spending time alone uh, what does that mean and and it's because of that conditioning like oh you're outgoing you're expressive you're this you're that that we really keep ourselves from having a really genuine experience of the moment sometimes mm, absolutely and I think that is a really important thing to to bring awareness to and to bring a consciousness to because it it fundamentally, especially in times like this, when we're isolated at home or kind of re-emerging back out into the world, that there is the or there is and has been a huge shift in our own sense of of identity or our sense of what is it that we represent, what is it that is important to us, and I think you know me included, there have been shifts in this in this awareness. I mean, for me, I, I wanted to ask you as we kind of, you know, uh, round out this conversation, because I think it's been really interesting to hear a different insight on the way that we kind of look towards our own, um, you know, conditioning and also the way that we kind of make space for it is back into that sense of what we can do right now, what we can do tangibly for ourselves. And I think maybe there are some people who naturally gravitate towards the awareness or the consciousness to uh, to notice when we're being conditioned, notice when there's time and space for growth and evolution. But there is also, you know, a lot of people or a lot of moments, probably is a better way to say it, a lot of moments where we are just moving through the day and moving through life unaware. And for, for you, Luma, is there uh, any specific practices or things that we can do daily regularly frequently to create the space for this sense of consciousness yeah for sure and there's so many and it could be in terms of you know uh, physical activity or uh, like you were saying um, awareness exercises i really like and this is really simplifying it but i really like the question is this useful because in asking that question, you've already created that productive timeout, like, okay, I'm going to give myself just a few minutes here before I continue, whether I'm, you know, continuing on a walk or I'm continuing in a question or in a conversation, but just asking myself, is this useful? And it's uh, by far the easiest question and tool to use to make that space in any type of uh, engagement or um, 
noticing uh, exercise in your day. I found that extremely useful. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. I mean, it's so simple, but yet can be really valuable that, you know, is this useful? As what am I, you know, and what am I doing right now useful? Is there a useful nature to the, the perception that I'm, I have in this moment? And I think that's a really nice way to kind of, um, you know, round up this conversation, because I think for a lot of us, it's it's really about continuing the way that we can continue on in life, conscious, aware, relevant, and, you know, noticing more than anything else and asking ourselves continually, is this useful? I think for me, I'm going to start doing that and trying that out. And I think already uh, I can see that it shows value, but uh, the value is not necessarily in is the action useful, but is the question creating awareness in the moment? Mm -hmm. I would say, I would just add on that because it can maybe create some pressure. There is use, a usefulness to, to for example, procrastination. Uh, so in asking yourself that question, also allow it to be a tool rather than um, a limitation and something mm. that really invites you to make space around what you're experiencing in that moment um, rather than judging it. Absolutely. And I totally agree with that, that, that the question is to create the awareness, but not the limitation. I think if we are too quick to result in a, no, it's not useful and then stop, we're actually missing out on the second half of the opportunity to create an understanding of what's happening, our actions or our thoughts or our kind of, uh, temptations to become useful by just noticing. Yeah, for sure. Um, thank you so much. It's been really interesting. Um, and, and I think the work that you do is really insightful for a lot of people to understand different perspectives in the way that we approach our own capacity for continually on, uh, continuing to expand the way that we see the world, interact with it, and you know, remove conditioning and create space. So thank you so much for joining in this conversation. And I did want to say and ask, obviously, for a lot of people who are interested in listening and want to find out more, I mean, what are the places to connect with you? Where can they find more about the work that you do? Well, thank you for, for having me. And it was actually a, such a great conversation for me. I felt that we made a lot of space together. So I appreciate that. You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at mindbar, M-N-D-B-A-R, and also at, at mndbar.com. I, I look forward to making more space collectively all together. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for joining and thanks everyone for listening in. This has been another episode for me that has been really interesting and, and great to learn more about different perspectives out there in the world. As always, if you're interested in following along uh, with this conversation as we grow and expand, please do us a favor and jump onto Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review it. Stay in touch, keep in touch, stay well, and stay safe. And thanks again, and we'll see you next time on The Quiet Life.